Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Well, hello, and I'm pretty excited, a little nervous. This is my first live podcast, so I want to welcome all of you and please encourage you to ask questions and to engage with me on this podcast because that's when I'm at my best is when I can really talk to you. And today, I'm so excited to have with me someone that I met uh, oh gee, years ago, a terrific author named Jeff Abbott. Let me tell you a little bit about Jeff. <laughs> Many years ago, and I can say this as an author, um, when he was going through that time of beginning to write, he told me that his wife said, you know, I want you to go ahead and follow your passion because your boys will know that that's what you've done. You had a purpose and you fulfilled it and you stayed with it. As a mother and as an author, I really appreciated that. So this is an author and a man who can answer all kinds of questions about persistence, about um, following his dreams, and all of those things. But let me tell you how far he has now come. Um, now, Jeff Abbott is a best-selling suspense novelist who has authored 20 thrillers. And Jeff knows I've read many of them, and they're all terrific. You know the Born Identity character. Uh, I was told years ago when I met Jeff that he was the new Robert Ludlum, the suspense thriller expert. And I would say with all the books, the 20 books he's now written, he truly is prolific, prolific easy for me to say, and has it down pat. Um, he also told me that he likes to explore his creativity beyond his comfort zone. I think that says a lot about him. And then figures out how he can create something even better. And this is what he said to quote, it's all in the execution because the idea is where the work begins. It's not where it ends. So Jeff, welcome today to the podcast. Thank you so much, Valerie. How are you feeling after 20 books, and uh, how long did it take you to get to the point you're at? Your first book was 1994? Yeah, my first book came out in 1994, um, and uh, the, uh, the 20th will be out next year um, in 2020. In 2020? <laughs> well, that's... Nice, nice symmetry. <laughs> you know... Um, well, I have to brag on you because you're a very gracious man. I know that, and um, you don't—you're not precocious at all, which is why you're on the show. You're real. You're authentic. Uh, I was—I was taken by the fact that uh, that very first book, uh, "Do Unto Others," was that the first one? Am I right on that? That was. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. So I made note that it won the Agatha Award and the McCavity Award for the best first novel. 
Yes, that's correct. How'd you feel um, about that? Uh, well, I mean, it was exciting to win an award for a debut novel. Um, that was that was 25 years ago, which is kind of hard to wrap my head around. Uh, so I'm not exactly sure. I don't know how I remember how I felt. Uh, <laughs> probably a little speechless. Um, um, uh, but, you know, it was... Um, uh, I had um, planned to write a novel for a long while. Um, the first novel that I tried to write um, was a magnificent failure, um, but I learned a lot through just finishing the book, just finishing the first novel, which wasn't good enough to get published in, in any form. And I learned a lot from it. So when I wrote the second novel, uh, which that was my first novel to be published due and to others. I think I was a lot more sure-footed than what I than what I was even two years before that when I started first trying to write the novel. Um, due and to others actually got finished because I went to a can, I went to a writers conference that Rice University hosted, and they had a, a chapter contest. You could submit your your first chapter. Um, to a panel of professional authors um, in that field. So they had a romance panel, a historical panel, a mystery panel. And um, they, uh, my, I wrote the first chapter of what became due to others and um, <laughs> it won. And I was really surprised. Um, and uh, you know, the authors, who, who were the judging panel said, you should send this to New York. And I was like, well, I only have the one chapter. And so <laughs> they were like, well, you should finish writing this and then send it to New York. And um, sure enough, I, I, I did. And that was obviously incredibly encouraging to have writers who I admired um, talking and encouraging me to, to move forward with the book. Um, and so it was, then that was my first novel that sold. Wow, that's amazing. Jeff, when did you know that you really you really wanted to write? When did that passion bubble up in you? Well, um, my grandmother taught school in a small East Texas town. Um, uh, she was a second grade teacher for nearly 40 years. And mm -hmm. so she taught me how to read when I was about four. I don't think I was bright kid I think she was just a really great teacher and she taught me using one of those giant Dick and Jane books you can put up on an easel um, <laughs> this dated from the time when the schools couldn't afford to buy every child a textbook right and so she taught me how to read and uh, um, um, my, my, my parents, uh, uh, you know, came back from their vacation and here was their four-year-old who could sound out words now and could learn how to read, uh, which was a surprise to them. Um, but they, uh, you know, she always gave me books. She always encouraged me um, to write. Um, and then there was also a time when I was in second grade, I was disruptive in class because um, we would have show and tell, and I'd always forget to bring something, but I would start to tell a story. And it would always be like, you know, I spent the weekend in Montana with cowboys fighting Martians or something I would just make up, but I would always end on a cliffhanger. 
and even at that young age I had that sense that that was how you kept an audience interested was to end on a high point and my my teacher had to call my parents in because she could not get the class to settle down again <laughs> after show and tell um, and so she told my parents she said get him a big chief tablet and get him a husky pencil and get him to write all this down as he's you know as, you know, as I was learning, learning to write so I think I always had that interest in stories just because I was exposed so much to books at an earlier age and mm. encouraged and allowed to read whatever I wanted to. Um, so that was probably the seed of how that got started. I love that. And storytelling now, everyone is taking classes on how to be a good storyteller in corporations. Leaders are yep. learning how to coach by, right, by telling stories. Well, you know, uh, stories. So when we met, I have to tell the audience this, you were doing a book signing at a Barnes & Noble, and it was around your book called Adrenaline, which was a whole series of about Sam Capra. That was your character. And I so remember you sharing how you came up with that whole concept of that character and uh, that's all I'm going to say. What was the story you shared that day about Sam Capra? How you came up with the story ideas and where he would be, all of that? Well, I hope I tell the same story I told six years ago. <laughs> if you don't, I'll tell it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I had, you know, I had written a couple of mystery-based series already. I wanted to write more of a big international intrigue kind of series. Um, but I, I knew that I wanted to write about a, someone who had left the CIA, but I didn't know what kind of job he would have post CIA that would still take him around the world. And, um, I doodle, I take a lot of notes when I'm writing and I was, I had made a couple of suggestions to my literary agent on things that this character could do for his new job and none of them seemed particularly interesting or fresh um, but I had drawn a picture of a globe you know because I kept envisioning this person going all around the world and I guess maybe I was thirsty or it was near time for a happy hour or something but I drew a martini glass next to the globe and I just thought bars and I started thinking about like Rick Blaine in Casablanca you know owning his bar and how all the the sort of interesting world of characters who came into his bar and i then i started thinking well he could own a bar and then i could think well he could own bars all around the world and then you know that would be his excuse to go around to a new city in every book is that he's going to the bar that he owns in that city and um that would be that was sort of the genesis of the idea does that match the story that you recall? Yes, that's exactly the okay, story. Good. Okay, and, good, good. <laughs> well, it's a true story. It would have so been it awkward otherwise. <laughs> the reason that hit me so is because I was thinking as you were talking about it, and still do, how, how you come up with these different now genres that you're into. So you went from the Sam Capra character and how many books did you have on that i've written 
I've written five Sam Capras. I'll probably write another one very soon. Oh, please do. Five so far. I so miss him. Thank you. <laughs> so Thank you. from that, okay, from that suspense and that character, and I'll bet you did go all over the world then, didn't you? Uh, we did. Uh, I would um, pick a city and um, go to the city with my wife, um, except for London. Um, but I went when I had a book event there, when I had a book launch in London. Um, because actually, weirdly, my books took off in the UK earlier than they did in the US. Oh, interesting. Um, I'd already had several bestsellers in Britain by the time Adrenaline became my first bestseller in the, in the US. Um, but we would then research, go to um, local bars, uh, <laughs> often on the suggestions of my readers. I would you know, post something on social media and ask them for feedback on where would an interesting place to be a bar. And I wanted him to have a mix of bars. I didn't want them all. It wasn't like, you know, he wasn't owning like TGI Fridays. It wasn't like a corporate chain of bars. And then, of course, I had to answer the question eventually, how did he get the bars? He's only 26. How did he <laughs> afford these bars? Were they given to him? I mean, it became this whole part of what I call the cap reverse, uh, the Sam Capra universe of um, creating this world where I could then have multiple books, multiple characters, multiple recurring characters. I can't have the same cast every book because he's in a different city. So I had to think every bar had to have a different manager or maybe a different set of customers, you know, obviously a different set of customers that he would encounter who could help or hinder him in his investigations and in his work. Um, so, you know, it was just always a lot of fun to pick a city and say, okay, that's where the next one will be, and I'll go and I'll do the research there. So one thing about uh, Sam Capra that fascinated me, I'd never heard of parkour. Tell us about <laughs> Sam Capra's well, ability to do that and what it is. Yeah. Parkour is an urban sport. Um, if you've ever seen the opening chase scene in Casino Royale with Daniel Craig, his first Bond film, uh, the guy's chasing at the very beginning of that movie um, uh, was one of the parkour champions of France. It's, it's a form of urban climbing and running where you, you vault, you jump, you descend quickly, but with control in an urban landscape. Um, and I had seen videos of it on YouTube. I had seen it used in some commercials and in, in Casino Royale. And because Sam Capra is noticeably younger than most suspense series heroes who are usually in their 30s or 40s, I thought, well, that's a young man's sport. And uh, when I was in London, I interviewed a, a guy who was one of the parkour champions of London and owns a parkour studio. He does a lot of commercial work. Um, they performed at the Olympics. Um, and he took me on one of his runs where he did the run and I observed carefully from a distance because I couldn't do any of that. And um, then I incorporated that into into the book so it was just something that was fun to add for the character that's fascinating all right so you had that series and that was very successful and now i've i made a list of all of them you've got um you've got different genres so 
I want to know, and then please, our listeners, our watchers, um, write in some questions that you might have of Jeff about writing, being an author, being successful. But my question is around these different genres. How do you go from a Sam Capra thriller into what your current book is, The Three Bests, a whole different um, kind of writing? How do you do that? Well, um, you know, I'm paid to use my imagination. So I, I sometimes get ideas that are not suitable for the Sam Tapper series, right? Okay. And um, if the idea takes hold of me and I want to start playing with and exploring the idea that I know, then, then it, it's probably something that I would want to spend the time with to write the book. The, uh, it takes me about a year to write a book between 10 months to a year and um you know sometimes you get an idea for something that's so strong but it just doesn't suit the world of sam capra or if you know i've now written three standalone novels in a row i might get the idea next that is not suitable for a standalone it is suitable for a sam capra um so you know it's a little bit like producing multiple television shows or something if you were a producer on law and order and will and grace you know sometimes the stories are going to work for one for one kind of that, that's like an extreme example but you know something that would work for a comedy is not going to work for a drama so when sense. i'm writing about you know the intimate set of lives in a suburban neighborhood that is not going to be a sam capra novel when i'm writing about high stakes high thriller action that's going to be a sam capra novel so I, I like to kind of switch a little bit between the two. I think it, it opens me up to more readers. You know, a lot of people who might not read a Sam Capra novel will read Blame or The Three Best because they enjoyed Gone Girl um, by Gillian Flynn or they enjoy novels by Harlan Coben um, that are set in, in the more ordinary suburban world that we know. So versatility is your middle name. Well, I try to be versatile. It, can, it has its pros and cons because a lot of times people want a very similar product every time from a writer. Um, but I think it's important to have a few commonalities but still be willing to write in, in somewhat different, slightly different areas. I mean, family is a core concern in every one of my books. You know, Sam Capra may be high-octane thriller, but he's also a young father. I mean, mm -hmm. my, my favorite thing he got called once was Jason Bourne with a baby Bjorn um, <laughs> when, 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 his, when his baby's really little. Um, but, you know, so even if I'm writing something that's more the international thriller or something that, that is a suburban suspense, we know that family is going to be key and critical to that. Well, that leads me to uh, one thing that seems to be a theme all the way through, that it's about ordinary people caught up in extraordinary danger and fighting to return to their normal lives. Um, that's a fair statement about most of my standalone novels. I think okay. with the three Beths um, in Blame, these are people whose ordinary lives have already been upended before the book starts. Um, with The Three Beths, it's the story of a young woman named Mariah Dunning. Her mother went missing a year ago, no explanation, car found abandoned, um, 
a lot of people in this town that she lives in, this Austin suburb called Lake Haven, believe that her father must have been responsible for it. Um, and they're just kind of living a half-life trapped in their house together, sort of, he's an outcast now, he can barely function, and she has decided um, she wants to find out what really happened to her mother. And a crime podcaster that she knows, a true crime podcaster, tells her that her mother's, you know, her mother's name was Beth, and two other women named Beth have gone missing in, in the past year in this area. And it seemed to be like, you know, women who walked away from their marriages or someone who just sort of dropped out of life. But Mariah becomes convinced that it must be, there must be a link between the cases. And so, you know, she gets warned that uh, going into investigating someone else's family, someone else's disappearance may be, she may be opening a can of worms worse than what she had already. So... I think in my last two books, these are kind of previously ordinary people who have been damaged in some way and are ceasing to are, and are trying to cease the damage and get back mm. to having a normal life again. Um, so and well, here's, this, here's the three bets since you wanted me to hold up the cover at some point. Yes, I do. And I expect yes. an autographed <laughs> uh, book on that one because I don't have that one. Would you do that, okay. please, Jeff? <laughs> sure. So, Valerie, now is a good chance for me uh, in the yeah. control room, Anna here, good. Um, to read uh, one question from the audience. You kind of, Jeff, you kind of addressed this in a way, but I guess we can put it in kind of like larger scale. So, we have a, a question here says someone saying, paraphrasing George R. R. Martin, I think there are two types of writers: the architects and the gardeners. Architects plan <laughs> everything ahead of time, like an act architect building a house, and the gardeners kind of know what the story is as they're writing uh, and they find out as it grows. And uh, the question is, are you more like an architect or a gardener? <laughs> um, I, I, I never think it's quite that cleanly split, although I'm a huge George R.R. R. Martin fan. Um, I have to be a little bit more of an architect because my publisher asked me for an outline of every book <laughs> so that they know where the book is going. Mm -hmm. um, so I generally write about a 10 page outline of my idea um, for my editor. I write a shorter outline for um, the sales execs and the senior execs at the publisher so they don't have to read something quite as long, but still gives them a flavor of, of the characters, the plot, the tone of the book. Um, I am not bound to that as I start writing because usually once you get the characters on stage and they start interacting, you can often get better ideas than what you had before um, as you were doing the outline. Um, so it's sort of an iterative process. Now, when I get about to about the last 100 pages of the book, I really outline it in detail because at that point, I kind of know in my head where everything is going. I know what the big climax is going to be, the big emotional resolutions. And I want to be sure that the things I've set up earlier have big payoffs in that final hundred pages. So my, my vision is for how someone's reading is that they're just racing to the end. Um, so I do more architecture, but I do allow the garden to run a little wild uh, there in the building while I'm designing it um, in case better ideas come along. Thank you for that question. 
That's that's a good answer. Yeah, that's a good I, question. That's a good it, question. It was a Thanks. good question. You know, I have one. <laughs> what do you do when you have writer's block? Uh, I go and I look at my tuition payments and my mortgage payment, and suddenly I don't have block anymore. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I'm, I'm kind of not joking. I mean, this is how I support my family, so I really can't have writer's block. Um, uh, there are certainly times when the writing goes more easily than others. Um, it's usually uh, because I'm hesitant about making a difficult choice or I'm I'm fearing the amount of rework or something that something might cause me to make if I make the right choice for the story and I'm dragging my heels out of my innate laziness a little bit. Um, but I don't I don't really get writer's block. I, I, if I get slowed down, I, I have to figure out a way to work through it and, you know, to get my confidence up or to just keep um, driving ahead. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, there, I'm working on a variety of projects. I'm working on some stuff for television, um, short stories, things of that nature. If I get stuck on one, I'll go work on the other one. But to keep working and to stay productive and to feel creatively engaged, if if I'm feeling clogged or on on one side, that may help open 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 it up a bit. I want to be like you when I grow up, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I <clears throat> I remember when I was writing uh, the books, the discipline that had to go with it. And I ask you to share for our listeners and watchers and me um, what some of your lessons you've learned about being an an author and so forth. What are some of the things that you would say, hey, remember this? Well, um, there's a quote by Gustave Flaubert, who wrote Madame Bovary, who said to be orderly and, and, and be regular and orderly in your habits so you can be mm. violent and creative in your work, in your art. And um, I think that's good advice. Mm. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of prescriptive writing advice out there that says, oh, write every day write X number of words every day. And, and not everyone can do that. Um, but I try to get myself into an orderly schedule so I can get down. Um, I, I'm at my desk every day at around the same time. I start writing, um, even if I'm not as sure where I'm going that day. Some days I'm sitting down, I'm very sure where everything's going. If I'm not as sure, I just plug back into it because sitting around thinking about the book is not as effective in problem solving as writing the book. I would rather write a thousand words and have to throw those out than feel that I sat the whole day just sort of gawking or thinking about the book and it didn't quite work. You know, I never got anywhere anyway. Sometimes you have to try and see what doesn't work before you can see what does work. We have and, another question. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Sure. Interrupt, Good, but, Anna. Uh, another question that kind of ties in with what you were saying. You were talking about I'd rather do. Um, someone in uh, in the question section is asking about what would you rather write about? Oh. What would I rather write about? Uh -huh. I don't. I don't quite understand. Like all the genres, sorry. you know, of all the the thrillers or well, the. I, uh, I mean, I've been writing crime fiction which is a broad thing for mystery and thriller and suspense now for 25 years so i'm happy doing that um and uh you know that's my field 
Um, if I wasn't writing in that, I'd probably enjoy writing in historical fiction. I have a history mm. degree. I don't use it often. Um, and that would be fun, uh, probably as well. Is there a favorite book of all of them you've written? The last one. The last book's always a favorite <laughs> with me. Um, uh, there, you know, certainly um, I'm really pleased with the reception that Blaine got. Um, Panic yeah. was sort of the first big bestseller. It was a big bestseller in Britain. It was on the bestseller list there for six months. That opened a lot of doors for me. Um, Adrenaline was my first bestseller in the U.S. Um, you know, it was a Today Show pick. It was a Good Morning America pick. Um, those are highlights, you know, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm proud of every book. Um, even the books that come out and don't maybe as much of an impact. I worked just as hard on those. And, uh, so they're all, they're all my, my, my work. And I'm, 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 I'm trying to feel good about all of it. And if you were a woman, I would say, cause I say this, every book I've written is like giving birth to a new baby in every way. <laughs> Yeah, I can't really say that. I no. can't really say that. But but they're uh, all your kids. I, I wouldn't want to have twenty kids. But, <laughs> <No>. uh, that... <laughs> by the by the way, Jeff, you have a wonderful wife of many years and uh, two sons. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Are either of them writers? No, they're they're not really interested in writing. Isn't so that interesting? They have the, they have their own passions that they pursue. Uh, with my with my encouragement and support so. oh, that's a good thing I want um, I want all of you who have watched and listened today and after the fact to please be sure and look up Jeff Abbott um, online he's everywhere when I was doing my research he's everywhere and his books are phenomenal I could not Jeff I could not put down the first one I read which is adrenaline and I felt that way all the way through you really really are a great writer and I learned a lot from yeah. reading your books you're extremely kind, and I really appreciate you having me on the show today. Thank you so much, Valerie. Thank you so much. And for those of you who um, are watching and listening, you can still write in comments. You can still ask questions, and we'll figure out how to get those answered for you. So thank you so much, Jeff. And until next time, you stay authentic. Think about the passions and the purpose that you have, and just like Jeff's wife said to him, I'll say to you, because I believe this with all my heart, you know what? If you really are passionate about something, you will find a way to make it work for you. Don't give up. Stay persistent. Until next time, have a great week. Bye. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.